Section 31 of The Natural History, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nick Hillier. The Natural History, Volume 4, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 31, Chapter 41. Cabbages. The several varieties of them. Cabbage and coleworts, which at the present day are the most highly esteemed of all the garden vegetables, were held in little repute, I find, among the Greeks. But Cato, on the other hand, sings the wondrous praises of the cabbage, the medicinal properties of which we shall duly enlarge upon when we come to treat of that subject. Cato distinguishes three varieties of the cabbage. The first, a plant with leaves, wide open, and a large stalk a second with crisped leaves, to which he gives the name of apiaca, and a third with a thin stalk and a smooth, tender leaf, which with him ranks the lowest of all. Cabbages may be sown the whole year through, as we find that they are cut at all periods of the year. The best time, however, for sowing them is at the autumnal equinox, and they are usually transplanted as soon as five leaves are visible. In the ensuing spring, after the first cutting, the plant yields sprouts known as cymae. These sprouts, in fact, are small shoots thrown out from the main stem of a more delicate and tender quality than the cabbage itself. The exquisite palate, however, of Apicius rejected these sprouts for the table, and his example was followed by the fastidious Drusus Caesar, who did not escape censure, however, of his father Tiberius for being so over-nice. After the cymae have made their appearance, the cabbage throws out its summer and autumn shoots, and then its winter ones, after which a new crop of cymae is produced, there being no plant so productive as this, until at last it is quite exhausted by its extreme fertility. A second time for sowing cabbages immediately after the vernal equinox the plants of this growth being transplanted at the end of spring, that they may not run up into sprouts before coming to a top. And a third sowing takes place about the summer solstice, the transplanting being done in summer if the soil is moist, but if too dry in autumn. When moisture and manure are supplied in small quantities, the flavour of the cabbage is all the more agreeable. But when they are supplied in greater abundance, the plants attain a large size. Asses' dung is the best adapted for its growth. The cabbage, too, is one of those articles so highly esteemed by epicures, for which reason it will not be amiss if we speak of it at somewhat greater length. To obtain plants equally remarkable for their size and flavour, care must be taken first of all to sow the seed in ground that has had a couple of turnings up, and then to follow up the shoots as they appear above the ground, by moulding them up, care being taken to throw up the earth over them as they increase in luxuriance, and to let nothing but the summit appear above the surface. This kind is known as the Trician cabbage. In money and labour it costs twice as much as any of the others. The other varieties of the cabbage are numerous. There is the Cumanian cabbage, with leaves that lie close to the ground, and a wide open head. The Arachinian cabbage, too, of no greater height, but with more numerous leaves and thinner, 
This last is looked upon as the most useful of them all, for beneath nearly all of the leaves there are small shoots thrown out peculiar to this variety. The cabbage again of Pompeii is considerably taller, the stalk, which is thin at the root, increasing in thickness as it rises among the leaves, which are fewer in number and narrower. The great merit of this cabbage is its remarkable tenderness, although it is not able to stand the cold. The cabbage of Brutium, on the other hand, thrives all the better for cold. The leaves of it are remarkably large, the stalk thin, and the flavour pungent. The leaves again of the Sabine cabbage are crisped to such a degree as to excite our surprise, and their thickness is such as to quite exhaust the stem. In sweetness, however, it is said to surpass all the others. There have lately come into fashion the cabbages known as the, the Alacature. They are grown in the valley of the Aricia, where there was formerly a lake, now no longer in existence, and a tower which is still standing. The head of this cabbage is very large, and the leaves are almost without number, some of them being round and smooth, and others long and sinewy. Indeed, there is no cabbage that runs to a larger head than this, with the sole exception of the Trician variety, which has a head sometimes as much as a foot in thickness, and throws out its cyme, the latest of all. In all kinds of cabbages, hoar-frost contributes very materially to their sweetness, but it is apt to be productive of considerable injury, if care is not taken to protect the pith by cutting them aslant. Those plants which are intended for seed are never cut. There is another kind again that is held in peculiar esteem, which never exceeds the height of an herbaceous plant. It is known by the name of Halmeridia from the circumstance of it growing on the seashore only. It will keep green and fresh during a long voyage, even, if care is taken not to let it touch the ground from the moment that it is cut, but to put it into oil vessels lately dried, and then to bung them so as to effectually exclude all air. There are some who are of the opinion that the plant will come to maturity all the sooner if some seaweed is laid at the root when it is transplanted, or else as much pounded nitre as can be taken up with three fingers, and others again sprinkle the leaves with trefoil seed and nitre pounded together. Nitre, too, preserves the greenness of cabbages when cooked, a result which is equally ensured by the apician mode of boiling, or, in other words, by steeping the plants in oil and salt before they are cooked. There is a method of grafting vegetables by cutting the shoots and the stalk, and then inserting in the pith the seed of another plant, a plan which has been adopted with the wild cucumber even. There is another kind of wild of cabbage also, the lapsana, which has become famous since the triumphs of the late Emperor Julius, in consequence of the songs and jokes of his soldiers more particularly. For in the alternate lines sung by them, they used to reproach him for having made them live on lapsana at the siege of Dyrrachium and to rally him upon the parsimonious scale on which he was in the habit of recompensing their services. The lapsana is nothing more than a wild cyber. Chapter 42 Wild and Cultivated Asparagus Of all the garden plants, asparagus is the one that requires the most delicate attention in its cultivation. We have already spoken at considerable length of its origin, when treating of the wild plants, and have mentioned that Cato recommends it to be grown in reed beds. 
there is another kind again of a more uncultivated nature than the garden asparagus, but less pungent than the Karuda. It grows upon the mountains in different countries, and the plains of Upper Germany are quite full of it, so much so, indeed, that it was not an unhappy remark of Tiberius Caesar that a weed grows there which bears a remarkably strong resemblance to asparagus. That which grows spontaneously upon the island of Nasus, off the coast of Campania, is looked upon as being by far the best of all. Garden asparagus is reproduced from roots, the fibres of which are exceedingly numerous and penetrate to a considerable depth. When it first puts forth its shoots, it is green. These in time lengthen out into stalks, which afterwards throw out streaked branches from the head. Asparagus admits also of being grown from seed. Cato has treated of no subject with greater care than this, the last chapter of his work being devoted to it, from which we may conclude that it was quite new to him, and a subject which had only very recently occupied his attention. He recommends that the ground prepared for it should be moist or dense soil, the seed being set at intervals of half a foot every way, to avoid treading upon the heads. The seed, he says, should be put two or three into each hole, these being made with the dibble as the liner runs, for in his day it should be remembered asparagus was only grown from seed, this being done about the vernal equinox. It requires, he adds, to be abundantly manured, and to be kept well hoed, due care being taken not to pull up the young plants along with the weeds. The first year, he says, the plants must be protected from the severity of the winter with a covering of straw, care being taken to uncover them in the spring, and to hoe and stub up the ground about them. In the spring of the third year, the plants must be set fire to, and the earlier the period at which the fire is applied, the better they will thrive. Hence it is that the reed beds grow all the more rapidly after being fired. Asparagus is found to be a crop remarkably well suited for growing with them. The same author recommends, however, that asparagus should not be hoed before the plants have made their appearance above ground for fear of disturbing the roots. And he says that in gathering the heads they should be cut close to the root and not broken off at the surface, a method which is sure to make them run to stalk and die. They should be cut, he says, until they are left to run to seed, and after the seed is ripe, in spring they must be fired, care being taken, as soon as they appear again, to hoe them and manure them as before. After eight or nine years, he says, when the plants have become old, they must be renewed, after digging and manuring the ground, by replanting the roots at intervals of a foot, care being taken to employ sheep's dung more particularly for the purpose, other kinds of manure being apt to produce weeds. No method of cultivation of this plant that has since been tried has been found more eligible than this, with the sole exception that the seed is now sown about the Ides of February. By laying it in heaps in small trenches after steeping it in a considerable time in manure, the result of which is that the roots become matted and form into spongy tufts which are planted out at intervals of a foot after the autumnal equinox, the plants continuing to be productive so long as ten years even. There is no soil more favourable to the growth of asparagus than that of the gardens of Ravenna. 
We have already spoken of the Karuda, by which term I mean the wild asparagus, by the Greeks called orminos, or mechanthos, as well as by other names. I find it stated that if ram's horns are pounded, and then buried in the ground, asparagus will come up. Chapter 43. Thistles. It really might have been thought that I had now given an account of all the vegetable productions that are held in any degree of esteem, did there not still remain one plant, the cultivation of which is extremely profitable, and of which I am unable to speak without a certain degree of shame. For it is well known fact that some small plots of land planted with thistles in the vicinity of Great Carthage and of Corduba more particularly produce a yearly income of six thousand sesterces, this being the way in which we make the monstrous productions of even the earth subservient to our gluttonous appetites, and that too when the very four-footed brutes instinctively refuse to touch them. Thistles are grown two different ways, from plants set in autumn, and from seeds sown before the nonnies of March, in which latter case they are transplanted before the Ides of November, or, where the site is a cold one, about the time that the west winds prevail. They are sometimes manured, even, and if such is the will of heaven, grow all the better for it. They are preserved, too, in a mixture of honey and vinegar, with the addition of root, of laser and cumin, so that a day may not pass without our having thistles at table. Chapter 44. Other plants that are sown in the garden. Ockimum, Rocket, and Nasturtium. For the remaining plants a brief description will suffice. The best time for sowing ocumum, it is said, is at the festival of the Perilia, though some say that it may be done in autumn as well, and recommend, when it is sown in winter, to drench the seed thoroughly with vinegar. Rocket, too, and nasturtium may be grown with the greatest facility either in summer or winter. Rocket, more particularly, is able to stand the cold, and its properties are quite different from those of the lettuce, as it is a great provocative of lust. Hence it is that we are in the habit of mixing these two plants in our dishes, the excess of cold in one being compensated by the equal degree of heat in the other. Nasturtium has received that name from the smarting sensation which its pungency causes to the nostrils, and hence it is that a certain notion of smartness has attached itself to the word, it having become a proverbial saying, that a sluggish man should eat nasturtium to arouse him from his torpidity. In Arabia, it is said, this plant attains the size that is quite marvellous. Chapter 45. Rue. Rue, too, is generally sown while the west winds prevail, as well as just after the autumnal equinox. This plant has an extreme aversion to cold, moisture, and dung. It loves dry, sunny localities, and a soil more particularly that is rich in brick clay. It requires to be nourished, too, with the ashes, which should be mixed with seed as well, as a preservative against the attacks of caterpillars. The ancients held rue in peculiar esteem, for I find that honeyed wine flavoured with rue was distributed to the people in his consulship by Cornelius Cethegus, colleague of Quintus Flamininus, after the closing of the Comitia. This plant has a great liking for the fig tree, and for that tree only. Indeed, it never thrives better than when grown beneath that tree. It is generally grown from slips, 
the lower end of which is inserted in a perforated bean, which holds it fast, and so nurtures the young plant with its juices. It also reproduces itself for the ends of the branches bending downwards. The moment they reach the ground, they take root again. Ockimum is of a very similar nature to rue, except that it dries with greater difficulty. When rue has once gained strength, there is considerable difficulty in stubbing it, as it causes itching ulcerations on the hands if they are not covered, or previously protected by being rubbed with oil. Its leaves, too, are preserved, being packed in bundles for keeping. Chapter 46. Parsley Parsley is sown immediately after the vernal equinox, the seed being lightly beaten first in a mortar. It is thought that by doing this the parsley will be all the more crisped, or else by taking care to beat it down when sown with a roller or the feet. It is a peculiarity of this plant that it changes colour. It has the honour, in a here, of forming the wreath of the victors in the sacred contests of the Nemean Games. Chapter 47. Mint It is at the same season, too, that mint is transplanted, or, if it has not yet germinated, the matted tufts of the old roots are used for the purpose. This plant, too, is no less fond of a humid soil than parsley. It is green in summer and turns yellow in winter. There is a wild kind of mint known to us as mentastrum. It is reproduced by layers like the vine, or else by planting the branches upside down. It was the sweetness of its smell that caused this plant to change its name among the Greeks, its former name with them being Mintha, from which the ancient Romans derived their name for it, whereas now of late it has been called by them Idiosmo. The mint that is used in dishes at rustic entertainment pervades the tables far and wide with its agreeable odour. When once planted, it lasts a considerable length of time. It bears, too, a strong resemblance to pennyroyal, a property of which is, as mentioned by us more than once, to flower when kept in our larders. These other herbs, mint I mean, and cat mint, as well as pennyroyal, are kept for use in a similar manner. But it is cumin that is the best suited of all the seasoning herbs to squeamish and delicate stomachs. This plant grows on the surface of the soil, seeming hardly to adhere to it, and raising itself aloft from the ground. It ought to be sown in the middle of summer, in a crumbly, warm soil more particularly. There is another wild kind of cumin, known by some persons as rustic, by others as the bear cumin. Bruised and drunk in water, it is good for pains in the stomach. The cumin most esteemed in our part of the world is that of Carpetania, though elsewhere that of African and Ethiopian is more highly esteemed. With some, indeed, this last is preferred to that of Egypt. Chapter 48. Olustratum But it is Olustratum, more particularly, that is of so singular a nature, a plant which by the Greeks is called Iposelinum, and by others Smenium. This plant is reproduced from a tear-like gum which exudes from the stem. It is also grown from the roots as well. Those whose business it is to collect the juice of it say that it has just the flavour of myrrh, and according to Theothrastus it is obtained by planting myrrh. 
the ancients recommended that Hippocellinum should be grown in uncultivated spots covered with stones, and in the vicinity of garden walls. But at the present day it is sown in ground that has been twice turned up between the prevalence of the west winds and the autumnal equinox. The caper, too, should be sown in dry localities more particularly, the plot being hollowed out and surrounded with an embankment of stones erected around it. If this precaution is not taken, it will spread all over the adjoining land and entail sterility upon the soil. The caper blossoms in summer and retains its verdure till the setting of the Virgiliae. It thrives the best of all in sandy soil. As to the bad qualities of the caper, which grows in the parts beyond the sea, we have already enlarged upon them when speaking of the exotic shrubs. Chapter 49. The Caraway The caraway is an exotic plant also which derives its name Caraeum from the country in which it was first grown. It is principally employed for culinary purposes. This plant will grow in any kind of soil, and requires to be cultivated just the same way as Olustratum. The most esteemed, however, is that which comes from Caria, and the next best is that of Phrygia. Chapter 50. Lovage Lovage grows wild in the mountains of Liguria, its native country, but at the present day it has grown everywhere. The cultivated kind is the sweetest of the two, but is far from powerful, by some persons it is known as Panax. Crateus, a Greek writer, gives this name, however, to the plant known to us as Canela bubula, and others again call the Conisia, or Cunilago, Cunilla, while they call the Cunilla properly so called by the name Thimbra. With us, Cunilla has another appellation being generally known as Saturia, and reckoned among the seasoning plants. It is usually sown in the month of February, and, for utility, rivals wild marjoram. These two plants are never used together, their properties being so extremely similar, but it is only the wild marjoram of Egypt that is considered superior to Cunilla. Chapter 51. Ditanda Ditanda, too, was originally an exotic plant, as it is usually sown after the west winds have begun to prevail. As soon as it begins to shoot, it is cut down close to the ground, after which it is hoed and manured, a process which is repeated with each succeeding year. After this, the shoots are fit for use, if the rigour of the winter has not injured them. For it is a plant quite unable to withstand any inclemency of the weather. It grows to the height of a cubit, and has a leaf like that of a laurel, but softer, and it is never used except in combination with milk. Chapter 52. Gith. Gith is employed by bakers, dill and anise by cooks, and medical men. Sacopinium is so extensively used for adulterating laser, is also a garden plant, but is only employed for medicinal purposes. End of section 31. Recording by Nick Hillier, Bristol, England.